Gentlemen, welcome to the Alpha M Podcast, the podcast where I talk business, self-improvement, lifestyle, and more. Whether or not it's just me sort of talking, a little bit of audio action for you to enjoy, or me sitting down with a special guest to find out more about the steps they took to become successful. Whether or not you're listening to this on the go, you're sitting at home right now listening, I appreciate your time. And so if you're ready, let's dive in to this next badass episode. When you first started doing promotions for companies, did you start off by getting the free products instead of cash payments? And if so, when did, when did you know the time was right to make the decision for cash payments? Because I and I am sure the companies know it's cheaper for a company just to give you free stuff to promote um, as opposed to cash payments. So, yes, when I first started doing promotions, the first, literally the first promotion that I did was for my friend Paul. He was in the UK and he had a... Um, he had like an online store called like Brighter Man and what he sold was like men's accessories and so he saw that I was doing YouTube videos and so he reached out he's like hey I've got this this company I do you know I, I sell you know things like scarves and bracelets and watches and wallets and things of that nature would you be interested in if I sent you some product would you talk about it and I was like hell yeah you want to send me free product this is amazing mind you this was back in like 2009 and so it was very early on, on in my YouTube career. So he sent me this like, this like purple scarf. I remember it. It was like the first thing I ever promoted. It was the purple scarf. And I'm like, oh, how to accessorize with the scarf, right? And apparently he, and, and he is a good friend of mine now. I still, actually he, he helps me out. He works for um, Enemy and he also works for um, me and helps me with like Instagram and stuff like that. Anyway, long story short, He's like, yo, this works like crazy. I apparently ended up sending him a ton of business and he sold, like, sold out of these like, kind of ugly like purple scarves. And then he sent me another uh, like, stuff and, and I promoted it a little bit more. And it was fun, right? It was like, oh my God, somebody's actually sending me free stuff. Fast forward about a year and then the quantity of free stuff started to increase, right? I started to get more stuff and then it was something where it's like, I can't talk about all this free stuff. Then came um, my, my official like first sponsor and it was a company called Blank Label and it was a shirt company. And the way that it worked, you plugged in your measurements. It was early days of like online like made to measure clothing. And this guy Fan B, I remember his name, Fan B reached out, he's like, hey, would you like a shirt? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I got the shirt and he's like, would you like to do like an Alpha M collection? And I'm like, yeah, this sounds awesome. And he's like, what we'll also do is pay you a few hundred dollars, I think a month, if you would put like our label or logo on the front of your videos, front and back of your videos and link to us down below. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do this. And that was my first like payment. And I was so excited to actually get money. And I believe it literally was $200 a month. Um, you know, in terms of when you know when it's time to sort of like flip that switch and, and, and start charging, it's really up to you. It's up to you know, what you feel is, is right and what you feel is the right time. Personally, yes, you're absolutely right. It is a lot cheaper for a company to be like, here you go, would you like to have some free product? Get the free product and talk about it. The problem is, is that there, are, you know, there, there aren't many influencers or people in this like, space that are doing things for free product anymore. There are some like micro-influencers and stuff, but the problem is that all of these people that have you know, large channels or even like small channels are getting offers to, to do promotions for money. At this point, the game has changed. It used to be where you could send people free products and oftentimes they would talk about, they would mention. 
But now the, the times have, have definitely changed. Even small like micro influencers or people that have like a very small following, they're getting offers for money. And so trying to get them to actually promote things just for a free product, it, it's not happening as much as it, it used to. Um, now, that being said, there are some smaller channels that just want to talk about products. They want free products, and so they will actually reach out to like T. Shanley, Pete and Pedro, Enemy, and say, hey, I've got this channel. I'd love to promote your products. Would you be interested? Now, the reason why this is a good idea, if you guys are new and you're starting off and you, you have a channel and you're trying to grow it, reach out to a brand that you love and say, hey, if you send me the product, I'd love to talk about it, right? Oftentimes what they'll do is they will give you an affiliate link where if you sell product, you're going to actually get a commission. And this is awesome, right? The other upside to doing this, if you have a code or if you have like a tracking link, these companies can actually see that, yo, this dude sent me a ton of traffic. You can then go back to them and say, hey, would you be interested in sponsoring a video? At this point then, you could actually charge money. Or if it works for them, like seriously, they're gonna come back to you and say, hey, would you like some more free product? We'd be, we'd be happy to give it to you. And then you can say, nah, I would like some cash, please. But in terms of when and how, it's really a personal, individual thing. I don't know um, what the answer is. Really, it just kind of like happened for me. And at first, it was all about the free product. I was loving getting free product. Now, you can keep your free product. I got more product than I know what to do with. Now, you know, it's about, it's about paying my bills. And so, um, it really boils down to, to you, your business, and the offers that you're getting, and how you're going about, and how you're monetizing your, your channel, or your, your influence, as it would be. Can you explain how preferred stock and common stock work within our business realm? Um, <laughs> The answer is no, <laughs> but I Googled it, and here's the, the, the key differences. All right, the main difference between preferred and common stock is that preferred stock gives you no voting rights to shareholders while common stock does. Preferred shareholders has priority over a company's income, meaning they're paid dividends before common shareholders. Common stockholders are last in line when it comes to company assets, which means they will be paid out after creditors bondholders, and preferred shareholders. <laughs> Google is amazing. As an entrepreneur, at what point in your life would you go, all right, that's enough for me. Time to travel or do something else that you've been wanting to do but haven't been able to. I don't know. Uh, for, me, for me personally, I don't know when that point is because as an entrepreneur for me and the way that I am in my brain, you know, stuff like this is what I enjoy doing. And so, I don't know, I mean, when's enough? When's enough, you know, I, 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 I can't answer that. You know, that's something that, that you've got to answer. Now, in terms of having time and, and resources in order to travel or do things that you want to do, yeah, I mean, that is absolutely, you know, something that, that once you get there, you know, congratulations. But it, I am a firm believer that unless you are growing and moving forward, you're going backwards. And for me, my mind is always like going and racing and trying to figure out different things and um, I love being an entrepreneur. It's what I love doing. I love talking about products. I love talking about businesses. In terms of, you know, when's enough enough? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I haven't got there yet. So when I do, I'll let you know, but great question. Hopefully you can figure it out for yourself. What do you think of buying a business instead of building one? Capital will be raised as debt or equity, just like building a business from scratch. And I think we kind of just answered that. I think it depends. I think it depends on you. I think it depends on the business. And I think it depends on 
if you want to cut out a lot of the learning curve that has to be done and, and taken into consideration when building a business from scratch. And I think really this whole vlog has been about you know, the pros and cons and, and what you can expect. And if you want to buy somebody else's business, I think that you should do it. I think you should look into it. I think you should really do your due diligence to make sure that the business is what they say they are. Because oftentimes when somebody comes in or, or approaches a company and like, hey, we would like to potentially buy your business, you know, you just got to make sure that everything is on the up and up, right? You got to look at the books. You've got to do your research because I would hate for you to buy a business only to find out that the books were cooked or something wasn't as rosy as you thought it would be. And that, gentlemen, is where I'm going to wrap things up. My question to you is, would you sell for $235 million even if your business was doing like 70? I guess it all depends on like if you're making, you know, $40 million profit a year, you're like, yeah, I'm good, right? Why? It depends. Like I said, there are a lot of factors that goes into deciding whether or not to sell, whether or not somebody's going to buy you, and hopefully you are lucky enough to figure that out someday. Gentlemen, speaking of lucky, we are lucky to have you. Hopefully you got something from this incredibly rambling vlog. I use a lot of weird analogies. Hopefully you got them. If not, I'm sorry. What was the working capital when you started Pete and Pedro and Tiege? How did you build the initial capital? So two different businesses, two different amounts of money required. When I started Pete and Pedro, it was literally for like $3,000. Um, it was a little amount of money. I didn't need much. I was just trying to you know, order my initial product. I ordered like five different products. I ordered, I think, 196 units of each product. I had a website set up. It was very little money. And so I saved up for that. Tiege Hanley, on the other hand, was a different animal. Um, Kelly was the one who put up the money for starting Tiege Hanley. Um, he had put up money starting like Tiege Hanley version one. He also then, want, and, and this is something that I didn't clarify two vlogs ago. Two vlogs ago, I was talking about the dark days of Tiege Hanley and Alpha M. If you guys missed that video, I would definitely check it out. We'll probably link to it down below. Anyway. I talked about how T. Shanley was started by Robin Kelly and they started this different concept of T. Shanley, selling other people's products in a box to people and it didn't really work. Well, Kelly had put up a bunch of money for that. It was already an entity. When we decided to actually do this again and join, join forces, include me and with Rob Kelly and the chemist and start a new T. Shanley, a new company, they ended up shutting down that business. And then we ended up um, starting a new company in order to basically distribute equity and get you know, the equity that everybody needed and all that good stuff. But with that, one of the things that Kelly was putting up was the money to actually start T. Shanley. And I believe he was committing to, I, I can't remember 100%, but I believe it was, I think it was like $150,000. I think that's what it was, either 150 or 250. I can't remember off the top of my head. But Kelly brought the money to the table saying, hey, for our operating capital, I've got the money, this is what we're gonna do. Now, the beautiful thing is that, um, you know, Kelly was successful. He had a business, he had a career before, and so he did very well, and so he had this money to actually spend. Now, most people do not have $100,000, $200,000 in order to start a business. So what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? The first way, I would recommend you develop your operating capital to start a business, depending on the business, because that's the other thing. Depending on what you're doing, this is also going to dictate how much money you need to start the business, how much inventory you need, how much technology you need. Um, with T. Shanley, we had a lot of product, we had a you know space, we had you know, relatively, not huge expense, but there was definitely expenses 
um, that we needed to. And then the beautiful thing with Tiege is that we just kept spending the money that we were making, putting it back into the company, and that's how we grew it. We have yet to raise any money. We have basically funded our growth and we still maintain that we are, you know, or maintain, we are still profitable, very profitable, which is, is kind of rare. But back to what I was saying, if you are going to be starting a business, the one way that I would recommend is save up if you can. You know, now, if you need like hundreds of thousands of dollars and you're making $20,000 a year, chances of you saving up that amount of money, it's going to take you forever. And so it's probably not an option. But the reason why you raising your own money or saving your own money in order to start your business is the best way is that A, I think you're going to take it more seriously. B, you know, you've got all of your equity. You don't have to give any of it away. And then you are responsible for your own, you know, failure or success. I think when people raise a lot of money or get a lot of money through outside investors, you don't take it as serious oftentimes. Um, Kevin O'Leary says that he doesn't like companies that have raised a lot of money because he feels that when companies are fat and sassy, right, they got lots of cash from like angel investors or venture capital money, you know, they, they end up not taking it as seriously, they're not pinching the pennies as hard, and they end up wasting a lot of money because they've got it. But when you are responsible for the money that you're raising, you know, you're really tight with that. You watch the pennies and you're very disciplined in how you spend it, or at least you should be. The second way that you can actually raise money to start your business is friends and family, right? You go to your friend, you go to your mom, you go to your dad and say, yo, I want to start this business. Would you be willing to lend me money? Now, unfortunately, this is a tough situation. Um, Damon John on Shark Tank, he talks often about when he was starting the company FUBU, his mom was like, I'm going to go get a second mortgage out on my house or something like that. She borrowed money against her home in order to give her son a loan to start this business. And, you know, obviously it was successful, but he had somebody in his corner that was willing to basically take a chance, a huge chance on, you know, the idea or, or you know, or her son. And I love stories like that. You know, maybe you have people in your life that you could actually go to and ask for a loan, or you could ask them to be one of your investors. The second way that you could actually raise money is go to a bank, right? Go to a bank that you have a relationship with and say, hey, I'm looking for a small business loan, or I'm looking for a line of credit. A lot of people do fund their businesses also through credit cards, right? Now, this is something where if that's all you got, if that's the only way that you can do it, then, then that is an option, which is why it is critical for you to have good credit, all right? That's the one thing that you need to understand. In order for you to get money from people, regardless of if it's loans from friends or family or institutional money, you've got to make sure that your credit score and your credit is good. You've got to be credit worthy. And so if you're somebody who isn't paying their bills or you've got high interest credit cards, you're just not paying, gentlemen, this is going to hurt you moving forward because people are going to think that you're not going to repay him because honestly, you're not. People are going to think, they're like, yo, if I lend him money, he's not going to pay me back because he's got a bad credit score. And that is the reason why having a good credit score is important. It lets other people know that you are credit worthy and that you're willing or that they should be willing to actually take a chance on you because chances are you're going to repay that loan. Now, um, banks, once again, we've talked in detail before about developing a relationship with your bank. If you are starting a business, right, go to your bank and say, hey, I'm going to be needing money. This is what I'm looking for. What do I need to do in order to get this loan? Um, oftentimes, the small community banks are going to be more apt to help a small business person as opposed to a big bank like a Wachovia or SunTrust, the Bank of America. They have more regulations revolving around loans. You're more likely going to get you know, help 
from a small bank. And that's what I did. I went to a small community bank. It was a referral. This dude, I'm like, hey, I want to buy this building. I need a loan. I don't really have like a lot of pay stubs and stuff like that. And so what can we do? He took a chance. My accountant vouched for me and I ended up getting a loan, paid it off, got another loan for another building, paid it off. And that is how I have been able to sort of you know, extend or, or get more credit is because you, you, you get some, you pay it off, you're going to get a little bit more. And so pay off your debt, form a relationship with a small bank. Another way to get money is angel investors. Angel investors typically are going to be money like under like $3 million or typically it's like under a million dollars where there, there are people, there are networks that you can go to and say, this is my business, this is what I'm looking to do. And then you actually will get money from them, hopefully, but you're always typically going to need to have a track record. You're also going to need to have some type of business plan. And the last way you could raise money, like bigger money, if you're looking to like start like something really big is venture money, where typically that's going to be like over a million dollars, um, but it is going to be hard to get. The other thing you need to understand is angel and also venture money, you're typically going to have to give away um, a substantial amount of, of, of equity. What advice would you give yourself if you were a 25-year-old in terms of entrepreneurship? Biggest challenges of T. Shanley till now. Please answer both. Okay, so the T. Shanley one, I can answer that easier in terms of what is the biggest challenge T. has faced. It's something that we're still trying to figure out, and that is the top funnel, the top of the funnel, right? And when we talk about top funnel, it's about how do you fill it up with potential customers? We have been working from the beginning trying to figure out that top funnel like video, and we have not been able to do it yet. We haven't figured out a piece of creative that we can just drop money and do what I want to do with the Stubble Buddy, just figure out how to you know, convert people cold that um, for a reasonable price. We have not been able to figure that out yet. It's something that we're still working on. And that honestly is the thing that we've got to figure out at this point right now. There are other things, but that is the number one thing that we've been struggling with from day one. In terms of the, the, the advice I'd give myself at 25, if I was 25, I was still doing like the fitness center, trying to chase that dream. And so at that point in my life, what I would tell myself is, it's okay if your idea of success changes. And just know that that's part of the process. Because back then, I would have punched you in the face if you would have said, yo, you're gonna be talking about cleaning up beard stubble and pubes and talking about T. Shanley and talking to, I would have punched you in the face. Because for me, back then, the only thing I wanted out of life was to be a successful gym owner, fitness center owner, chain of fitness centers. That's what I wanted. That was the only thing. And that was the only thing that I ever thought would make me feel successful. But success, it changes. Don't be so blind and naive to the fact that sometimes the universe is telling you, yo, you gotta shut that down, and yo, you gotta start a beard vacuum company. You've gotta just be able to listen to the signs and hopefully adjust and pivot. For me, I can't imagine if I did, like, I can't, I, like, it's the amount of satisfaction, the amount of happiness that I have now is unbelievable. I never dreamed that I would be as successful as I am now. Never dreamed, never dreamed I would be, but I am. And the reason is because I was able to let go of that dream and follow a direction and a path and a curiosity that I had. And so that would be the advice I'd give myself back at 25. Can you explain what franchising is and how it works? In a nutshell, franchising is when a company or a person starts a business, right? They start a business and it is successful. And what they have done is they have basically figured out a structured system 
and how to tell somebody else how to do exactly the same thing, all right? So let's use Subway restaurants, for example, right? Subways, they make the subs. All right, there was a dude or a woman, I'm not sure who, that started the first Subway shop. They, they were like, yo, this is a Subway, and it was successful. And they're like, yo, this is a pretty cool business. I'm gonna open up another one, right? And so they open up another one. They duplicate the system, all the ingredients, all of the, the colors, it is identical. Well, then they got the idea, and I don't know if this is Subway story, it's probably not, I'm just using as, them as an example. Somebody came to them like, hey, I'd like, to, I'd like to open one of these. I think it's pretty cool, I love your sandwiches. The dude that started Subway is like, I guess I, I, guess I, could, I, guess I, could, I, could, I could show you, I could teach you exactly what I do and why I'm successful. And so the, dude's like, yeah. the other dude is like, yeah, let's do this. And so the dude who started Subway is like, all right, uh, I want, I want $50,000 for me to tell you how to do it, but you're also, gonna need probably about 250,000 additional dollars in order to set everything up and make your store sexy and pretty like mine along with buy your meat, right? You also are gonna have to pay me a royalty. Every year, I want a percentage of what your business is. I feel I deserve it because, well, I started this and I'm giving you the blueprint and allowing you to do this. And then the person's like, okay, here you go. They pay him the $50, the franchise fee, and then they start their business, they spend the additional $250,000 to set it up, and then once a year, or however often it is, that person, that franchisee, is going to pay the original franchisor a percentage of the profits, it's predetermined. Then somebody else sees, and oh wow, there are three, there are three Subways, I think I would like one of those, and so they then go to Mr. Mr. Subway, whoever started it, and said, I also would like one. And so 50,000, you gotta set it up, 250, and then it, it, the, the cycle repeats. Essentially, in a nutshell, that's what a franchise is. Somebody starts a business and then sells you the rights to use their logo, use their marketing material. Um, you know, basically, they're giving you the secret sauce as it would. The other upside to buying a franchise, especially when it's a big franchise, like a McDonald's or like a, a Subway, I was gonna say Chick-fil-A, but they're a different animal in and of themselves, is that now all of a sudden the big company, the corporation, typically will handle the marketing and the brand awareness. And as you know, because you're smart and you've been watching our vlog, you know that the marketing is the hardest part of this. But if you're somebody that already knows what a subway is, you're driving down the interstate, you see a sign for a subway, you're like, oh, I already know what a subway is because I've seen the commercials, they're already you know, in my town, I know that I love it, I know that what I'm gonna get there is exactly what I got at the other one. And so that's the other reason why somebody would wanna buy a franchise brand recognition and you know what you're gonna get. You're also going to be paying in typically as a franchisee some money to marketing, right? And so you are marketing on a big macro scale but you reap the rewards from a micro level, meaning like your store, you are getting the rewards of the big advertising campaign nationally that Subway is doing. Does that make sense? So why would you wanna buy a franchise, right? Why wouldn't you wanna just start your own business and just figure it out yourself? And the reason is because Figuring it out yourself costs a lot of money and a lot of years of experience. And this is a way to sort of like circumvent all those years or that road, you know, say we, we talk about success being a journey, right? And you gotta, you gotta drive the road, you gotta hit speed bumps. This is like, this is like the overpass, right? You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta clear ride. Somebody else has already done the hard work and on, gone through those speed bumps and taken the road. And they're like, oh no, 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 no. It's a lot easier. Just take this bridge I built you. And that's kind of <laughs> my analogies are 
either horrible or they're awesome. Which one? Gentlemen down below, let me know. Say, yo, Alpha, your analogies, I get it, or I, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. Anyway, let me now bring it and tie it together. <laughs> tie it together, yeah, right. Aaron, I keep hearing equity mention on your videos and on Shark Tank. Can you explain a little bit about how equity works in the real world? What is it? Is, is, is it important in the business realm? Thank you. Basically, all equity means is ownership, right? So if you start a business, you start a whatever business it is, it doesn't matter, right? You start a business selling coffee, right? There's 100% equity or ownership. All equity really means is ownership. And so when you start it, you've got 100% of this coffee business. And then as you bring in investors or as you add partners, sometimes you're going to give away equity. Equity just means ownership. So if you've got 100%, you're like, hey, for $10,000, I will give you 10% equity in this business. And so they give you $10,000. You then legally are going to give them a percentage ownership in this business. That's, that's really all equity means is its ownership. And the best idea is to try and hold on to as much ownership, as much equity of your business as possible. And that's the thing. Like if you watch Shark Tank, oftentimes you will see these entrepreneurs and when they start talking to the sharks, they start asking, you know, well, I'm giving away X percentage of equity for this much money they'll end up getting around to the question, well, how much equity do you have and have you raised additional money and, and you know, what valuation and all that? It's amazing to me how many people go into Shark Tank that have already given away a substantial amount of equity or ownership of their company. Now, why would somebody do that? The answer is pretty simple. They need money. And a lot of times when you're starting, people fall into the trap if you don't have any resources or you don't have any options of giving away more than you should or more than you need to technically because you are so desperate. When you are desperate, when you need the money in order to keep your doors open and keep things rolling, this is a position of weakness and I don't want you to be there. Guys, it is better to be negotiating if you are in a power position or a position of strength. But if you're going to ask for money, right, and you're like a week away from shutting your doors, you're more willing to give away like everything. It's like, oh, you want 50% plus my kidney? Okay, fine, you'll do whatever you need to do. Do not get in that situation. And so one thing that I would recommend, if you are starting a business, a small business, and you can have a side hustle or another job while you're starting this other business or this other business is your side hustle, you just wanna make sure that you can pay your bills so that you don't get like super desperate. Whenever you're desperate for money, and I've been there, I have been there a bunch of times in my previous businesses, you know, you end up giving away more than you should. And then after you sort of get things situated or settled, then you're like, crap, why did I give away 50%? Why did I give away this? Why did I give away that? It is better to, it's better to be in a strong position. And so, you know, how you go about getting money and raising money, it really is going to be determined upon your resources, who you know, and, you know, what you end up ultimately doing. But if you can go to a bank to get money, they're not gonna take equity in your business, right? They're just gonna give you a loan, they're gonna get interest, you're gonna to need to pay it back. But once you start going to investors, that's when you start having to give away equity, equity, AKA ownership of your business. How do you go about manufacturing the manufacturing process for the lip balm? How do you source the right lab and machines, et cetera? So 
our chemists developed the formula for the lip balm. And then we have labs that we work with at Tiege Hanley that we're like, all right, here's our lip balm, boom, send it to them. They do all their tests. They test it for the SPF. Okay, it's not stable. Back to the drawing board. Literally, I, I don't think I still have them. I, I used to keep all of the reject like samples. I think it was like 30 different variations in order to get the lip balm that we wanted that was stable, that had the right like feel, that, that smelled right, that texture was right, the propel when it comes out of the tube was right. It was a, a, a Herculean effort to get that lip balm right. But when we nailed it, we nailed it. And now that lip balm is ridiculous. But it was a it was a it was a dance, right? It's 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 a testing, it's a trial. We came up with the formula, send it to the lab, let them test it. Okay, this doesn't work. Back to the drawing board. Okay, the SPF is only 27. It needs to be 30. Back to the drawing board. And so it was a process, but it was a collaborative effort between T. Shanley, our chemist, and the labs that we actually use. And so that's uh, that's how it worked, and that's how we do it. Gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you dug it, make sure to drop us a review, also a rating, as this helps the podcast reach more incredible gentlemen just like yourself. And don't forget to subscribe because it's free and you don't want to miss another incredible episode. Guys, thank you so much for your continued support. I think you're amazing. And don't forget how awesome you are.